Hi, I'm Mike from MDX Pods. With me is Dustin. How are you doing, Dustin? Hey, doing well. Hey, Xavier, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for asking, man. Tonight, you guys ready to talk about uh, King Kong? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have some thoughts, man. <laughs> Good. So we're kind of doing, it seems like we've got a theme of monsters. Uh, the big reason we picked Godzilla as our first one is we wanted to do like a double episode uh, for our first, you know, our first launch episode, but also to kind of set up the uh, King Kong episode as they're actually going to be uh, a monster universe and they're going to interact with each other in a couple of years. So it's kind of why we picked these two movies. We're not going to be doing a giant monster movie every single week. So just keep <laughs> that in mind. Um, yeah, they do. So they do, do kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah, I think in 2020, we're getting a King Kong versus uh, Godzilla. So and uh, keep in mind, definitely this one, that movie just came out, King Kong Skull Island. Uh, so there's going to be spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, uh don't listen to this and come back in a couple <laughs> days after you've watched it. If you don't care about spoilers, then go ahead and watch it. I don't think there's anything that you wouldn't expect in this movie. It's, you know, it's exactly what I expected. It's pretty straightforward. So, yeah, uh, I agree. So we're, we'll go ahead and get into it. I think we should set our criteria again. I think it goes without saying we're going to talk about the, the creature design Kong himself. Yeah. And what do you guys, what other things should we talk about? Uh, I, well, I want yeah, I want to definitely discuss, uh, you know, what the, the two different versions of Kong that we get, but also I think if we touch on the design overall in the movies, like there's some really interesting stuff, I think that they do in Skull Island and that they don't do in, uh, Peter Jackson's 2005 one. Um, mm-hmm. we'll probably also want to touch on, you know, the characters. Are there any likable people in either of these oh, movies? Yeah. Absolutely, man. Perfect. I think I think something else that we could probably touch on is uh, not just like the creature's design, but the way that that creature is integrated into his world um, and how it affects the characters, the storyline, that type of thing, and whether or not you know what we're what we're seeing in the movie seems like it actually fits in with what's actually happening. Yeah. All right. So just to recap, we're going over the Peter Jackson 2005 uh, King Kong, and then the new. Kong Skull Island that just came out this weekend. Um, so first off, let's let's just start with the King Kong 2005 from Peter Jackson. This movie was something that I really, really loved when I was younger. I worked at the movie theater when this came out. I saw it before it came out for audiences. This was before midnight shows were big. I remember taking like this girl that I was dating in high school to go see it, and I'm pretty sure I took my entire family to go see it. So I spent nine hours in the theater watching it from beginning to end. <laughs> I spent a lot of time watching this, and I really remember liking it. I don't know if I feel the same way anymore. What were your guys' general impression first? Well, I mean, I watched it uh, a long time ago. I didn't really remember it that well. I watched it once to prepare for this podcast and it definitely felt like i spent nine hours watching this movie (laughs) i absolutely agree uh not seeing kong for 70 minutes into this movie well i had a big problem with um the I, i don't know man i i didn't even understand why like if we're trying to talk about the motive for going to skull island like jack black somehow came into possession of a treasure map or something and that that was the reason he had to go to skull island and like steal a boat and a bunch of camera equipment and it didn't make any sense to me at all there were a lot of things that didn't really make sense and in addition to having some technical difficulties while trying to watch this movie i also i had to take breaks watching it like there was just a lot of things to me that didn't make sense and i actually kind of got a headache watching it like even though it won special effects like academy awards I don't think the special effects stood 
like they, they didn't hold up for me. Uh, I think like the mid 2000s was a weird time where everything was being CG. It was just like, we could CG this, but they didn't really think about, should we be CGing this? This was right before Christopher Nolan did Batman Begins and was like, no, I'm going to do practical effects. Like this is, you know, a couple years before we started getting Transformers. So we were in that period of time where they were just trying to CG everything. And I don't think we were quite ready for that. Well, that's, that's an interesting thing to bring up, I think, because uh, there are so many things packed into this movie that are CG or, you know, uh, like combination of practical sets and CG. There's green screen. They have the the bigatures or the very large miniatures that Weta Workshop is really good at building. I mean, they have a lot of really cool, interesting technical stuff going on. But even at the time, I remember the first time I saw Kong 2005, I, I remember thinking, okay, there's some cool stuff in here, but every time things like Kong or the monsters are interacting with with people, the compositing is just terrible. There's oh they, yeah, they, the, the whole dinosaur chase, like the the dinosaur stampede. Oh yeah, yeah the, it the, looks the, awful. It's, oh it's, yeah, it's, I, the, and the, it had the, no the, weight to it, even though they were crushing things. It was weird. Well, yeah, there. So there, I think there's a combination of things happening there. One is that. You know the the character like the actual actors uh, and the lighting of the actors doesn't match what's going on with the you know the dinosaurs chasing after them or anything like that. But there's also or the fact tumbling. That, it was an avalanche. Yeah, it was it was essentially like an avalanche of dinosaurs, which I mean could be cool. the The problem is that it didn't feel like there was any, as you mentioned before, any weight to it because it was so clear that they were just kind of pasted into this scene which was more or less 100% CG. It right. kind of and, felt... and for CG with no weight to it, like that whole scene culminates in like the clumsiest dinosaurs ever essentially dogpiling onto one another right. in and this very unspectacular way. Yeah, it was just boring and lame. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other thing that I was going to mention, you know, along with the weight and stuff, is that during a lot of these big action scenes, there are some other things that are missing to make it seem like everything has weight. So there, there, there's two main things. There's one: people are constantly running between the legs of these gigantic dinosaurs and stuff. Which, if it happens really quickly and it's like a one-time thing, oh man, that's really cool. They're that like, lucky. oh yeah, I was lucky. Holy shit, that could have been really bad for me, but I made it through. But the other thing is that the sound design just simply doesn't fit what you're seeing on screen. No, I mean, dude, you know, it there, doesn't. You it have, doesn't add up. Yeah, exactly. You have these these multi-ton dinosaurs stomping along the ground. It should have weight. It should have a ton of. There should have been it dust should... kicking in. Yeah, there should the... have been dust kicking up. And I think this is one of those areas where you can look at it and be like, oh, you know, there are other movies in the past that did that really well, like Jurassic Park with the T Rex stomping along with you know and the water the, driplets and stuff. Yeah, like the, that. the 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 ripples in the water and stuff like that, and you know the really deep rumbling bass. It it makes it feel like this really visceral thing, but in in most of these scenes, there just isn't that. There's there's no weight to any of the sound, so you have this weird disconnect between. What you see on screen, what you're hearing, and then the actual actions that people are taking on screen. It's, oh, it, which it's, include like shoulder butting a velociraptor. A velociraptor, like, it, yeah. it doesn't right. make yeah. any sense yeah. at all. It really just reminded me, like, overall, like, I don't feel like they were on any sets. Like, the entire time they were in the jungle or the swamp or in the cave, I feel like they were never on location. It felt very much like the Star Wars prequels, where it was just 
they had to have been on a blue or a green screen the entire time and it was it was something that like surprised me because i never watched the 1933 uh king kong until the last couple of days and they used like a combination of rear projection and matte painting and it looked more believable to me than this did actually that that was something that I was going to bring up, especially in regards to the special effects. And I think special effects are a huge part of the Kong series because uh, especially the original 1933 King Kong was a huge achievement in special effects and, sure, uh, I mean, you know, claymation and the rear projection and stuff. And something that really sets it apart from a lot of other movies is that when they're using rear projection, the, you know, the black levels in that projection match what you're seeing in the foreground. They match with match with the actors it seems like the the frame rate doesn't skip too much on the rear projection so it all feels very integrated into what you're seeing and the things that you're seeing with the actors in the foreground have an interesting uh sort of very constructed look to like all the jungle scenes and whatnot there's a very strong composition to it which carries over directly into the matte paintings in the background and despite you know the technology of the time not being great with claymation, it was absolutely fantastically done, you know, uh, integrating these different layers of the scene together to make it feel like one cohesive image. Well, one of the things that I think was most evident where you can see what worked and what didn't work was when King Kong picked up, um, it's Anne Darrow in the 1933 and the 2005 and the 1976 and the, the newer one, they are different characters. Mm-hmm. When they made a basically a crane that had uh, a big furry hand built into it, pick up Faye Ray, the actress who played Andaro in 1933, and it looked like a giant fist was picking her up. Yeah. Even in the 1976 one, which is you know considered a joke, that one won an Academy Award for special effects. And mm-hmm. same thing, it looked there was something physically picking up the actress, and it looked real. In yeah, this I- one, anytime Naomi Watts got picked up, it just looked like. She was floating around, and a cartoon was drawn around her. Well, yeah, and right. also and, like Kong is like shaking the hell out of her the whole time. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> like in the thirties, one like it looks like Kong at least has like some like care that this creature is alive. And this one, he's just like <laughs> whipping her around all crazy. Especially, like, I, she yeah. would I think die. we'll get into it more when we actually start talking about the creature design. But like the, the that fight scene with the three T Rex creatures. Like, there was a lot of problems that I had with that scene, and so we'll probably get into it when we start talking about the world, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I think maybe we should start moving to... Well, the motivation for going to Skull Island in this movie, I feel, was to make this movie. <laughs> which is very similar to the one in the 1933 one, which this movie was supposed to be an almost direct remake of the 1933, so there's a few minor changes. Like, there is a Captain uh, Englehorn in the original mm-hmm. one. Like, it seemed like they had a military background, but it was just like a charter boat. And this one, it's very obvious that the the crew are uh, poachers. Yeah, they got like a ton of guns. Like they brought hell ton of guns, guns. chloroform. Uh, yeah, Jack, uh, played by Adrian Brody, he's a writer in this one. In the original one, he was the uh, the first mate, so second in command. Basically, the same thing. Like didn't want anything to do with the woman initially, but falls in love with her. Carl Denham was actually drastically different in the 1933. Who was this like really respected filmmaker? He was known for taking risks. He was known for doing like these all these dangerous things, but always coming out on top. And he was really smart. And everyone's like, if he says we can do it, we can do it. Like he was like almost superseded the captain of the vessel, Captain Englehorn, because everyone trusted him, right? Like, just completely. In this one, he's very deceptive from from the very beginning. The movie executives are like, I don't trust him. Like nobody else has a stake in this except for him. 
And I guess well, I well so we're character. we're on to the characters now, right? Like that's that's the section I of the guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There, there isn't much yeah. to it other than they're just making. So one one thing, uh, Adrian Brody's character at the beginning of the movie, uh, when he gives uh, Jack Black like the five pages or whatever, and Jack Black's like super pissed, and he's he stalls him by pretending he doesn't know how to write a check. And then when Adrian Brody's character gets fed up with that, he, like, runs out to, like, the boat to, like, jump off the boat, right? And the boat, at this point, is, like, you know, 10 or 15 feet away from the dock. And he decides, nah, I'd rather sail halfway around the world with these assholes than get wet. Like, get wet and be cold for, like, maybe 20 minutes. It's going to take, like, a year to do this. They're sailing (laughs) across the world. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. It it didn't. I get where... In this particular version, Naomi Watts would want to do it. She was uh, a vaudeville actress, and there was like a theater that was closing down. Like I think like, the owner was like, "I'm done. Nobody's watching this." Like they looked in the audience, there was like five people. Mm-hmm. So he's like, "I'm done. You go." And so she like contemplates going to like a like a burlesque, a, a burlesque show, like a peep show kind of thing. That's when uh, <laughs> that's when Denim actually meets Denim her. sees now- her reflection and then like creepily follows her to like the market <laughs> where she goes to steal, and then he like. Oh, I'll pay for it and convince her. Like, I can see why, you know, she's lost everything. She's nothing well, going for she's it. she's starving to death, yeah, exactly. it seems. <laughs> he takes okay, her to so, the restaurant and she's shoveling food in her mouth. Yeah, I, I've got to say, this is actually something that I do appreciate in comparison to the 33 and the 76 one, is that the, Naomi Watts' character, uh, Anne Darrow, actually has a reason to be doing what she's doing because she knows she – knows uh, who Jack Black's character is? She's heard of Carl Denham. She's heard of Jack Driscoll. You know, she and she, she was actually needs calories to survive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah she well, the other thing that I liked about precious, her precious is calories. the Kong movies are very, very misogynistic. The very the 1933 one, she is basically a prop just for screaming. Um, throughout the movie, like all the sailors are like, we hate women. Women shouldn't be on boats. She's going to be oh, a yeah. pain. And then they go and rescue, and then it's all like she's a damsel just has to rescue her, and like he does fall. Jack's character does fall in love with her, but she's very much just a damsel in distress. You go to the 1976, you know, it wasn't required viewing for this podcast, but they couldn't even come up with a way to get a female character in the movie, so they just literally had her floating uh, like in out to sea, and they just like, oh, what the fuck? There's a woman in the ocean. Yeah, and then she was just like half naked the whole time. Okay, like there's a point where like Kong just like pulls her top off. It's weird. Yeah, th- this is actually my favorite part of the 76 Kong, is just how absurdly sexist it is. That they couldn't even think of a way to get a female cast member into the movie without her just being like, oh, I'm floating along on a boat, I bump into your boat, now I'm in the movie. Like, that is the only way that they could think of to get a woman in and the movie? Exactly. And it's, so at least... it's astonishingly stupid. <laughs> it, it, it really is, and then it's just like... That rest of that movie is people are telling her to feel like there's a point where the Kong is like coming and they're like, she's like, let him go, let him go. He's just trying to like live his life. And they're like, he tried to rape you. And she's like, he did try to rape me. He actually saved me a couple times. And then like the the captain's like, no, he tried to rape you. Wait, so they're like Kong telling tried her to rape happened. her? Yeah, that's in the 1976 oh, one. She'd so. be dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's the thing that didn't really make sense is like those other movies were very misogynist. So it's nice in this one, like Xavier said, she knew who Jack Driscoll was. She read all his plays. So she was really excited to work with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it gave her a reason to be on there. And then she wasn't just a damsel in distress. Pretty early on, 
She figured out that she could make Kong laugh. She actually developed a rapport with him. She was doing the juggling and the flips, and he actually, like, was playing around with her. Like, she had, like, the little stick she was using as a cane, like a Charlie Chaplin-like king, and he, like, flips the stick away from her so she falls. It felt very real that they did have a connection, and he did try to protect her. Like, he got bit to hell when he was fighting the T-Rexes, and he was, like, keeping one, you know, one arm or leg free for her, keeping her away from the dinosaur. So it did feel real that she had a connection with him she very much wanted him to survive she went ice skating with him kind of oh god that that scene was so painful but at the same time that is definitely something that i appreciate from the 2005 kong and actually that is something that i think peter jackson took some inspiration from you know previous sequels to king kong and admittedly as terrible as it was from the 76 kong in the 76 kong as as crappy as a lot of things were, Kong and uh, I think her name was Dwan, right? Dwan, yeah, yeah. They it's they like develop- Dawn, but I changed two letters to make yeah. it more memorable. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they they do to some degree develop a little bit of a rapport, which simply wasn't there in the 1933 Kong, and I I think that was a good addition to you know making it feel a little more believable. So I think most of the other characters. Um, were really just served to move the plot along. It makes more sense to have them as animal poachers to be able to collect, like, trap Kong at the end or the middle of the movie because uh, the movie was three hours long. Uh, <laughs> so it made more sense to change them to, like, poachers and they were shady. It would make a lot more sense as to why they'd be willing to put up with uh, Carl Denon's shit, especially when the cops were coming, for them just to, like, fuck, we're getting out of here. We're just going to go along with what he's doing because we can't get our boat raided because we've got a bunch of illegal shit on the boat. So mm-hmm. I think it that served while changing their background. Uh, Jack being a rider versus the first mate didn't really make a difference. Dustin, I think you and I were talking a couple days ago, or maybe it was earlier today, about the natives. I think you had something to say about them. Right oh, now. yeah, yeah. Boy. The natives in this movie were just, like, super creepy and weird. Like, like I, I don't know, man. Killy. Yeah, oh, like, I way killy. Like, like, it was brutal and gruesome and like it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me and like they capture the woman and like you know tie her up and do like the sacrifice to the kong and it's like dude do these people like just hang around waiting for white women to show up to give to kong like i, I just didn't understand it are they sacrificing their own people to Kong? oh yeah man i'm sure they were the other thing that was weird is they had a, a head smashing station like there was a point where like, yeah. they had a rock that was <laughs> well, i mean you had need a station so it's clearly it. they've been bashing heads in at this particular rock like yeah, hey, like if they had like a like a fight and they're like, hey, I'm going to meet you at the head bashing thing. And like whoever loses gets their head bashed in. Like, yeah, so I was weird. I was actually going to bring up the natives very specifically because as as much as I do like some of the character interactions and stuff compare, you know, comparatively with other Kong movies in this one, I think that the natives in this movie for being at, as recent a portrayal as it is are super fucking racist compared to all the other Kong oh, movies. Oh, yeah, dude. No, they're just straight up savages. Yeah, like, it, that's all there the is 19... to it. Like... I mean, dude, look at the 1933 Kong. They actually go and to the And the 1976. Island. They're able well, to communicate yeah. with them. And, and like, they Island. actually try to... They yeah, try to... I, in the... They try to in this 1976 one and I think the 1933 one, they try to facilitate a trade. Like, we'll give you six of our women for your white woman. Well, uh, right, but like even even more than that, in the 1933 one, this one is it's from 1930 fucking three. They go to this island and they actually talk to the natives, and they're they're like, "Hey, 
we can communicate with you. We want to we want to be here. We don't want to cause any trouble. We're just interested in taking some pictures and shit. And the natives are a little bit receptive to it. I mean, you know, it's still the 30s, so they're not like, you know, the most uh, approachable sorts of people in a movie. But at the same time, the captain of the boat actually, he speaks their language or a language very similar to theirs. They communicate, they talk, they have, you know, they at least don't go all murder rape all the time. No. Uh, in the 76 one, they're, they're at least like they have a ceremony that they're doing. They're like, oh, he, you know, this is this is going to be one of Kong's wives or something. But in the 2005 one, they're just like, they're just a bunch of fucking crazy murderers. It's like the hills have eyes up in this bitch. You know what they were? So what did Peter Jackson do just before King Kong? Lord of the Rings. Those were like Urukai. They were like orcs. That's true. It was yeah. weird. Well, actually, now that you mention that, it did feel a lot like some of the scenes from... Uh, like you know Sauron's armies like and when shit he was with... ma- when he was creating the like the super powerful ones like the bigger ones it felt very much like that it was kind of gross and weird actually and yeah scary yeah it, it had a lot of the same feel and you I mean you could see a lot of uh, Peter Jackson's horror roots coming through in those scenes which I appreciate for getting like some creepy shit into a movie like oh it's a deserted island it's creepy and weird and stuff there's skulls that's cool but at the same time this shit's super fucking racist, you guys. Yeah. Why did how yeah, did how did I this mean, happen undeniably. in two thousand five? I've got one other character I want to talk about, and then I think we should move on. Do you guys remember Lumpy? Do you know who that was? No. Um, uh, so Andy Circus was like oh, the right, guy. Right. He, he the guy who had his eyes shut. I didn't realize that was him until like halfway through the movie when he was getting killed by like the weird bugs that were like swallowing him whole. Like one was yeah, on his that... arm, one was on his head. That was Andy Circus who also did yeah. the the motion cap for yeah. For Kong he did himself. the mocap for Kong. He did the mocap for Gollum. He was in uh, the recent Planet of the Apes movies. Um, yeah, he he and Peter Jackson worked together a lot. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. I thought he was a really great character, and he had one of my favorite lines in the movie. And it, it was bugging me the whole movie. So at one point, went right after when they were in the water and the rafts and like the rafts capsized, the raft magically got split into two, and then everyone was in the water, and like the fish thing got like two or three of them. And Carl Denham is just like winding the camera, and he like looks at him, and he's like did you get that kind of thing? And I was like, why has nobody beat the shit out of Carl Denham? Like, <laughs> like they say at the end of it, 17 people died. And ultimately he didn't end up with any footage, but at a certain point, why wasn't like everyone, like these are people that like I've saved from a tiger or an elephant. Like this guy's my like, bro, he's like my friend and you fucking watched him die. Like why, why did no one go and smash that camera? Like if I were in that crew and I watched like Dustin, or you, Xavier, get eaten by a fish, and I saw this fucker winding a camera, I would throw that camera in the water. No, nah, I'd just throw the dude in the water and then chuck the camera on his head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, none of these characters are likable. Like, I, I couldn't really get into any of them, you know? No. Like, I mean, I could find no saving grace to any of them. They were all just kind of there. Uh, they were either just there or they were a total asshole. Like, it, it was not... There's no right. one that you could watch this movie, like, from their perspective. It was pretty inaccessible in that way, I think. So I think we should go to the creature design. I, What's interesting is I this is the one that I remember the most because, like I said, I watched nine hours worth of it in the theater. Kong was basically a giant gorilla. He walked on all fours. He had the prehensile toes. He can swing. He can grab things. He was just a giant gorilla. I thought he was terrified. I liked the scars on his face. I thought the character model on it was amazing. Like, I thought he looked like a real gorilla, just giant. I thought all the other creatures were really generic, like, Every other monster, every bug thing, I thought was really generic. 
but I really liked the Kong design. But after watching the three other Kong movies over the last week and a half, I realized he's the only one that's actually a giant gorilla. All the other ones are kind of like Bigfoots in that they're completely bipedal and walk upright. This is the only one that kind of walks on all fours. I think that's a really good point. And I think it's also something that ties in pretty interestingly, at least in the 2005 Kong, with some of the other creature stuff that they did. So a lot of the other creatures that they have in the 2005 Kong are just, they're like, they're bugs and other animals. They're just really big. Um which is an interesting contrast with some of the things that they did in the 33 Kong and in uh, the most recent uh, Skull Island. Um, I think it's an interesting contrast, and I think it kind of speaks to sort of where uh, Peter Jackson comes from, at least as far as like his filmmaking style and the things that he's interested in. I think that's part of the reason that he just wanted a big gorilla instead of a sort of anthropomorphized animal thing. Um, because it seems like he has this this thing going on with like, you know, he's got lots of bugs and crab things and he has those huge centipedes that crawl all over uh, Naomi Watts' character inside the log. Um, he's got lots of dinosaurs that look like they're just dinosaurs and not some sort of other weird creatures like you might see in the more recent movie. And I, I, I think that's a very interesting uh, sort of thing to look at in comparison to the other Kong movies where you have things that are very distinctly just monsters. They're, uh, the, these are just monstrous beings that they don't seem very natural. They almost seem like they're kind of... Well, yeah, they're mo- they're monsters. They're not animals. I mean, what do you guys think that sort of means in reference to... I, I mean, to... I think, like, so with this one, like, Kong being just a very large gorilla, like, everything being kind of larger, like, it definitely creates a more, like, natural environment. Like, the ecosystem of it is kind of, like, more believable, I don't think I the ecosystem was believable at all. I had a couple issues with it. One, most creatures in the wild wouldn't really attack something that they're not familiar with. And, like, every creature on this island was super killer. Even the bugs that, like, I get these giant cockroaches but are giant, but I they're still, think, like... like, that's the point of Skull Island, is it's, like, the most violent place, like, it, it, like it is, a naturally still, violent, at, hostile environment. It would be, but when you look at these, like, cockroach things or cricket things that are, like, the size of, you know, small, like, small to medium-sized dogs, like, typically a small to medium-sized dog, even if you had three or four of them, aren't going to go attack... Even if you called them like wolves, they're typically not going to attack a group of people who have guns and are fighting back. Like it doesn't make sense. Like it seems like none of these creatures had self-preservation skills. Like if everything uh, in this place is overtly hostile, that does sort of forgive how killy the natives are. Like I don't know. I mean, it was consistent. It may not have been believable, but like it was at least consistent. In the like Skull Island is a harsh place to be. The one thing that drove me absolutely crazy, and I had to like just stop it after the scene because I couldn't believe how dumb it was. And I remember thinking this was a really cool scene originally. The T Rex fight. You know, they're fighting, fighting, fighting. He's taking on three of them. He crushes one with the boulder, and then they fall down that like crevice. And this is something that Peter Jackson loves to do. They had that weird log thing fall with all the guys on it, and they survived. King Kong and the dinosaurs fell through this crazy ravine. They did it in The Hobbit. They fell on that weird wooden scaffold that slid all the way down. I don't know what Peter Jackson has with falling structures down ravines. He just really likes falling shit. So at one point, they're suspended in these vines. Kong is all wrapped up in vines. One of the dinosaurs is all wrapped up in the vines. Uh, Anne is all wrapped up in the vines. And the dinosaur 
is a physicist and figures out how to rock his body and gets swinging. And his concern <laughs> is not like, why the fuck am I in these vines? I'm suspended hundreds of feet in the air. How do I get out of this? He's more concerned with taking a bite out of her than trying to get out of the situation. And the whole situation started when she got attacked by this weird dinosaur, like Komodo dragon-like thing. But then the T-Rex bites it, sees her and decides, I've got this giant thing that I've already eaten that's a lot more calories than this little skinny girl. And then decides to chase her. It's like the same thing in like zombie movies. Like you'll see them eating a body and then they see somebody that's alive and decide to go like, it drives me crazy. Like there's no reason that they should have been going after her. And then to go after her again while like they're suspended in these vines, like that dinosaur would be freaking the fuck out. Why is he trying to eat her? I don't know. The whole movie was dumb. Then it goes into the New York thing and that's nothing new. I thought it's dumb how King Kong climbs up to the the Empire State Building and just stays there and basically lets him shoot him to death. Yeah. Everyone knows that scene. It's the same as the 1933 one. I don't know, man. That's all I I got for for 2005. (laughs) I, this was really tough for me. Like going into this, I, I didn't think even at the the King Kong Skull or Kong Skull Island going into this podcast, I did not think Kong needed to be touched. I thought it was just a shameless cash in, like, oh, we're gonna have him fight Godzilla. I didn't think the movie looked that great. And now after watching the 2005 one, I'm like, yeah, we definitely needed a new King Kong. Absolutely, we needed one. Oh yeah, it needed new life. I mean, it 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 definitely needed to be redone. I'm I'm totally fine with it. I mean, especially having seen it and you know whatever, I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, the 2005 one is just too long and too cumbersome and too many characters and it's just not that enjoyable, man. It's a, it's a huge investment of time for very little payoff is how I feel. Yeah. So, yeah. I think I, I think I definitely agree about the length of it. Certainly I, the, the entire movie sort of just drags on and it's very clear at a certain point that Peter Jackson is just trying, he's trying to make so many like cool scenes with monsters and bugs and all this shit which in the 33 King Kong, which is the one he was remaking, he wasn't remaking the 76 one. He was clearly remaking the 33 one. He's He's got all these scenes, which are great. He has all the original scenes from the original movie, except then he pads out everything between those scenes with just unnecessary shit. You know... Uh, in the 33 and in the 76 one, you have the guys who are crossing that ravine on the log. In those movies, everybody just fucking dies. Everybody dies, and it's to show how badass King Kong is. In this one, a couple people die, and then the rest of the guys have to deal with some bugs. Why do they have to deal with bugs? Because Peter Jackson wants to have giant bugs. Yeah. I, they're... There's there is the scene with the the where he's fighting the T Rexes in the thirty three King Kong. It was one T Rex. It was a cool fight. Uh, it was to show how powerful Kong was. It did its job. It uh, established how dangerous this world was. Perfect. In the two thousand five, he fights three T Rexes, and it just goes on it just, and on yeah. and on and on. Yeah, it rips his jaws apart. Like it was it was a, clearly an homage to the original, but it was just too fucking long. And that goes with all the rest of the movie. Just too fucking long. Okay. All right. So we talked that one to death. Uh, Kong Skull Island. Just general impression. I, I thought it was really fun. I liked it a lot. I didn't love it. There were certain things I think it did really, really well. But overall, it was a really fun movie. I thought the pacing was much better oh than my, the uh, my 2005. God, so much better. I mean, you compare the 70 minutes it takes to see Kong in 2005 versus, you know, the four or five minutes it takes to see in this <laughs> one. Like... It's just so refreshing. Like, oh my god! I loved the cold open. Uh, the the pilots crashing into the beach, and you see this guy with this like giant brow, and I'm like, 
that's young John C. Riley right there. <laughs> yep. And <laughs> they, and then he like sees this like Japanese pilot, and they both pull out their guns. They both fire a bunch of rounds. They both miss, empty the their clips, and then they go and chase each other through the jungle. And the Japanese pilot pulls out a sword. John C. Riley grabs the sword with his bare hands and just like wrestles the sword. He's getting blood all over his hands. And then Kong just shows up, and they're both like, "What we're doing does not matter." Well, and yeah. then they ultimately became best friends. I mean, it also yeah. I was gonna say that it has like that whole. Um... Like, uh, Enemy Mine is what it was bringing to mind for me. Do you remember that one? Where, like, the two pilots crash on this hostile planet, and at first they're trying to kill each other, and then it's like, oh, shit, everything here wants to kill us. I guess we're best friends now. (laughs) It's awesome. It's perfect. That is an an excellent comparison because it is exactly that i remember loving that movie when i was a kid i need to go back and rewatch it because it is it's exactly that it's so good oh yeah it's perfect and i also like that they established that uh john c Riley's character is kind of a pretty bad dude man like he can hold his yeah. own you know and he can hold his own he's a, he's crazy like i was really worried that he was just going to be this really dumb just comedy relief guy but he 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 knew what he was doing there's throughout the movie he's like I've only been here for 40 years nobody wants to listen to me and every time he's like this is what we need to do he was right 100% of the time and he told people like fucking fucking listen to me guys like I also love that he got the, this is a PG-13 movie he got the one F bomb you think it's going to be Samuel Jackson yeah. in this movie and it's John C Riley and it's on something stupid like you hear like this weird sound I'm like it sounds like a bird but it's a fucking hit. <laughs> and I thought that was great. I did not expect that. I laughed so hard at that scene. Like, it's not that funny of a joke. I just did not expect yeah. it coming at all. So I, I really liked his character. I liked the, uh, he had like a Captain America kind of mana, mana out of time thing. They talk about the mood landing and he's like, did did they leave them there? Like, <laughs> it was great. I like yeah, that. I, really I like that he was his... asking, what, is, what does he eat up there? Yeah. Like Tang and Spain. <laughs> okay, so... I, can we actually talk about the tone of this movie? Because I thought it was a really interesting, uh, an interesting movie tonally, especially compared to other Kong movies, which are a little more serious. From the get-go, it had a hugely prominent sense of humor, which I think was an interesting addition to just whatever King Kong is in general. Right from the very first scenes, you have you have this this really cheesy scene of a plane crashing, a a dude landing on the beach, and there's just a ton of physical comedy right out of the gate. And it was not just physical comedy, but it also told a story, and it was good action, and it set up everything that was going to happen. It was pretty great, right? Well, what it really did, though, like, different from the 2005 movie, is every time, like, we got to an action scene, it never felt like, oh, now is the Kong smashing up all the helicopters scene. Now is the Kong fights the dinosaur scene. Like, it always was organic and sudden and cool, and it didn't feel as forced as all those sequences felt yeah. in 2005. What I really liked was he whooped up on the helicopters, did do a little damage, like when he grabbed the helicopter and the blade cut his hand a little bit. He didn't like getting shot, but there was varying degrees of difficulty. Like, in the 2005, like, every fight, even with the dinosaurs, while he whooped on three of them, it was a struggle. And this one, he had his struggles with the the giant uh, skull crawler. But when he gets attacked in the water by the octopus, he kills that thing super quick and then yeah, eats yeah, it. Yeah, he just, like, they didn't drag it out and make it another 10-minute action scene. It was the 30-second thing. He got the tentacles right as soon as he yeah. got his, like, oh, yeah, bearing he just, straight. And, like, he totally he just squashed yeah, he totally it fucked that thing and up. then ate it. I felt like that scene was just to show you, yeah, this is what Kong eats. Like, it was just, it And was that's real. something that I really liked, and it bothered me about the 1933 one and the 2005 one, where it's like, this thing's fucking huge. He's got to eat a lot of calories. He's got to have a lot of things. And... 
they took him presumably on a three-month boat ride. How were they feeding him while they were taking him from, you know, the South Pacific to New York? They touched on it in the 1976 when they were just throwing, like, lettuce and shit down there. But this one, I liked that he's like, no, he's eating monsters. He is a carnivore. Yeah. I really liked that. Um, getting into the themes, though, I there's a couple things I really like. I love that this was a post-Vietnam. But what I really liked was Samuel Jackson's character when, like, the general or whoever his boss was was calling him saying, hey, we got another mission for you. Do you want it? And he's like, yeah, I do. Thank you. He's, like, thanking them for giving him another mission because he doesn't know how to turn that part of his brain off. That also played into when they went to go pick up Tom uh, Hiddleston's character in the bar. He's like the tracker guy. He was like, why do you want me? And he's like, well, you haven't left and gone home. You're British special ops and you're still here. You did not find what you're looking for in war. You're looking for something else. So there was that theme through the entire movie that these are soldiers that don't know how to get out of that battle. Like it was almost like they all had PTSD and didn't know what to do with their lives. So they just went for another mission. Like it gave them all a reason for doing what they were doing. And ultimately, even though Samuel Jackson went crazy, and I get why he did what he did, because he lost all the his soldiers, he went around like he was wrong. Like they went into somebody else's turf. King Kong defended himself, and while he was understandable wanting to get revenge on it for his his fallen soldiers, he went crazy. Well, I I looked at it more like Samuel Jackson's character looked at it like if I defeat Kong. I will have accomplished something, right? Like when they were saying, you know, you lost the war. Now we abandoned it. Like I, I thought it was more after a sense of accomplishment. Because if it was just after revenge, oh, the Kong killed a bunch of my dudes. Like yeah, so did a lot of the other shit that lives on this island, man. Like a lot of your dudes died not at the hands of Kong, and you didn't get all mad at those other monsters. I thought it was more if we defeat. Like he fixated on it as some sense of accomplishment, like some reason for coming here would come from I, that. I, I agree. Like, and that comes to like the thing they said at Tom Hiddleston in the bar, like you need to find, like you haven't gone home yet. Cause you haven't found what you're looking for. And that's true. Like Samuel Jackson wanted that extra mission because he didn't find what he's looking for. They lost the war and he didn't want to feel like he lost everything. So he wanted that extra mission. He wanted a win. He wanted a victory. He was crazy at a certain point and he should have given up when all his crew wanted him to, but, he kept going. Yeah, but it's, I mean, he's like, the, he he wanted to win. The other thing that I enjoyed, or at least, I didn't, I wouldn't, I don't know if I enjoyed it, but I'd say it made more sense than the 2005 was the reason for going to Skull Island, being kind of pushed forward by John Goodman's character from Monarch, where it's like you do have this shady organization that you know is tracking down monsters. You know, like that, that's the point is going there to track down monsters. It's not to be obsessed with making some film that you don't have a script for or, or whatever it is. So I, I, I thought I found that to be a lot more believable too. Um, especially if they're doing this world building, trying to tie it into Godzilla and all that, like that kind of worked for me a little bit, like this international agency of monster finders or studiers or whatever. What didn't work for me was that they tell you that skull Island is surrounded by perpetual storms. Right. And it's like really hard to get there. And also none of these supposed monsters, no, just none of these supposed monsters that could be a threat to humanity have ever left Skull Island. Like <laughs> Whatever monsters that's are living the there is, are just living there. That's, that's not the case because they, the reason that, um, that scientists uh, that John Goodman was traveling around with was around is he had the hollow earth theory, which actually ties into the original 1954 Godzilla uh, theory that there are these underwater caverns there's these areas that are hollow in the earth that these monsters could be hiding from and spoilers for the end there was that post-credit scene found the hollow part of the earth 
and there was cave drawings of Godzilla, Rodan, uh, Mothra, King and Ghidorah. Um, King Ghidorah. Yeah. So that I I thought that was really cool. You know, some of these have gotten out. They had the pictures of the that shipper that got like that big ship that got destroyed. That was interesting. Like it was really big world building. Obviously, we know we're getting uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. The other thing that I thought was interesting is they made a point to say that Kong is still young and is small for his his type of creature. So I don't know if you guys noticed, they did some interesting tie-ins with the 33 King Kong that uh, might have kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit, especially in regards to the design of the skull crawlers. There's a scene, um, it, actually it's the scene just after uh, Kong sort of uh, makes the guys fall off the, the log as they're crossing the ravine. Uh, a very brief little bit where um, <clears throat> uh, the the first mate um, was it Driscoll? Yeah, John Driscoll. Um, so he's he's like hiding just down the cliff in a little in a little nook, and this thing sort of crawls up the side of the uh, the ravine, and it's about to eat him, and it's like kind of holding onto a vine. Um, it's the same the same area where in the two thousand five King Kong. Uh, Adrian Brody's Jack Driscoll is hiding, except in the 1933 one, there's this weird creature that's basically a a lizard head with two legs and a tail. No rear legs, it's just got the two legs. And if you look at that and you look at the skull crawlers uh, from uh, Kong Skull Island, you realize it's the exact same creature. It's It was similar. You know what I thought? So I guess we're moving into creature design mm. now. The thing that I thought they looked like is... Uh, Remember in Beetlejuice? Was it Bill Pullman? Oh, no, it was Alec yeah. Baldwin that's in Beetlejuice, right? When Alec Baldwin's character like pulls his face apart like to like morph into like a weird creature so he'd fit in mm-hmm. in that weird world. I thought it looked exactly like his face when he like, oh, stretches yeah, it yeah. out. Oh, yeah. It, it looked, I think they look kind of goofy. Um, and, I mean, I have my own thoughts about how those creatures could have been done a little better. But I did think, at least watching the 33 King Kong, that was a really nice callback to it because it was such a small little thing that just, it's it's only on screen for maybe like 10 or 15 seconds, but it's like, it's there. And if you pay attention, you you see that they're, they're kind of pulling some stuff back in, even if it was pretty subtle. Yeah, I, absolutely. The overall, I, th- I liked the creatures a lot better in this one. I didn't feel like they were just generic. Like, in the 2005 one, they were all just generic. Like there was just dinosaurs, there was giant bugs, there was nothing unique. What I liked about this one is there were some very interesting creatures. I thought Kong was cool, 100 feet tall, bipedal. I don't think necessarily the CG was 100% polished. Like I could definitely tell it was a CG creature. But I love those weird spider things in like the bamboo mm. forest where you look up and you you think it's a tree and then you realize it's a giant spider and its legs look like bamboo so it's like naturally camouflaged. Like I thought that was a really oh, cool creature yeah. design. I've never seen yeah, anything like it. Yeah, I thought like that it. was wonderful. I I thought that was absolutely one of the best parts of the movie actually because it did an excellent job of establishing the danger of this island without doing something that is like big and flashy. It it showed you the entire thing from the point of view, or at least mostly from the point of view of the guys on the ground, and I think that really increased the terror of how how scary this monster is, this this thing that they're fighting. Holy crap, I've never seen anything like this. It's, it's above me. It's huge. It just killed my friend. They put you down there on the ground, and they really played up just how fucking terrifying a giant spider like that really would be. The, the other thing that I really liked was that not every creature was just a giant creature. There was passive giant creatures. Like there was that weird like water buffalo thing. 
they also had like regular sized deer and regular sized goats that were like roaming around that they saw while they were flying in the helicopters. So I liked that not everything is giant. It doesn't make sense. Like there has to be some smaller creature that these things, like these smaller to medium sized ones that are eating. So I did think that this world actually made a lot more sense. I thought the, um, the tribe was really cool. It was like kind of a, it was kind of like a utopian, but primitive society. Like nobody had any property. Everybody shared everything. It was really interesting. Like they set up a lot of stuff so much different than any of the other ones, but it worked. I really, really liked the tribe. Like they had that weird 3d paint. They had all that weird 3d art where if you look at it from one way, it just looks like stalactites and stalagmites. And then you, you know, go move around and you see Kong and then you move around and you see the skull crawlers. So I thought that was cool. I think that, uh, naming, John C. Riley's character, Hank Marlowe, which is obviously a callback to Heart of Darkness. I thought that was a little bit on the nose, especially with him being integrated into this tribe and being like, well, I'm their friend now. I, I thought that was a little bit, I mean, come on, you guys. We we all know what you're talking about. You don't have to hammer it down so hard by calling him Marlowe. We get it. There's a boat. There's a river but at the same time i really did appreciate the depiction of the natives especially in comparison to the 2005 kong because my god in the 2005 kong they were just they were they were creepy monsters from the hills have eyes in this one they actually seemed like interesting people and i thought it was fucking excellent the way that they did the scarification the paint like the the face paint and the fact that all of these people in this tribe had really fucking interesting facial structures. I really fucking appreciated that they weren't just like, oh, he's a generic black dude or a generic Asian dude or a generic fucking Caucasian guy with some face paint on. They actually got people who looked distinctive and just fucking cool. It was almost like they did creature design, except it was for actual real human people. I thought that was fantastic i want to open up an old argument that me and dustin have had yeah. in the past so last week we had the, the the godzilla episode and talked about how much we hated the characters in the 2014 godzilla and we talked about how in these giant monster movies the characters don't matter in this movie i think this demonstrates exactly how you should have these creatures or the the people in the movies they were for the most part they were really just trying to get off the island get away they weren't necessarily trying to stop the monsters they weren't trying to fight the monsters it's weird we haven't talked about brie larson at all we haven't really talked about tom hiddleston at all but they were just like let's get the civilians off and i think that's exactly what you need to do in these movies is give the characters a motive that's not really related directly to the monsters because like dustin said last week ultimately you're not going to do anything to take on the monsters you just got to go. So I think this it I think this sets the bar pretty high for what people should be doing in a giant monster movie. Yeah, they're just trying to live, man. They're just trying to get out of there. You know, it makes a lot more sense, <clears throat> makes them all more believable, it makes them all more like relatable, right? Like I also really appreciated in this movie like there was no attempt to fucking try to capture Kong and take him back to New York City and do any of that bullshit like one, they wouldn't have been able to. This Kong is huge. Like, I, I don't see the logistics of how they were going to extract no, him. No, 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 no. And no. two, to just not do that, like, it makes it a, it makes your Kong, your monster, a lot 
more powerful, right? Like, this is Kong's domain. Like, he runs shit here. You need to leave. And also, I appreciate the scenes where, like, Kong would be standing up looking down at a person, like one of your characters in the movie, and not give a damn about them. Just, like, turn his back to him, but walk away. Like, yeah. they're nothing to him. They're insignificant little nothings. It almost makes it when you watch that action scene where he's, like, taking out the helicopters. It's like, to to Kong, like, the helicopters may be perceived as, like, other animals or, or something that's much more of a threat than just a human being on the ground, you know? So I, I really appreciated that. I think that this movie did do a good job, I agree with you, of having just your people trying to live and get away and get clear of, of this disaster. I think one of the things that sets this apart from uh, Godzilla is that I can actually sort of sympathize with some of the characters. In Godzilla, I just didn't care about any of them. I didn't. In this one, I liked the chemistry that Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston had. I liked most of the soldiers. Like they all seemed to get along really well. They all did their part really well. I, I I liked them. The only thing I thought was kind of funny is Tom Hiddleston when he put the gas mask on. He was really good with the sword. I thought that was really weird. But other than that, like I I thought everybody played their part and they did it well. Was this necessary? I I think yes. Going into the podcast, I didn't think it was, but I'm really glad this got made. I'm really excited to see what the franchise brings going forward. I'm really excited for the next two movies. I agree. I, I loved it. I had a great time. It was awesome. Should have been made. It's a cool movie. Yeah, I think after, uh, especially after rewatching the 2005 Kong, I would say, yeah, it should have been made. I personally had some issues with uh, the pacing towards the beginning, but I think it kind of worked out as it got farther into the movie. Um, and I think it was a really good addition to the Kong mythos, especially in that they changed sort of uh, what you can do in a Kong movie by not bringing him to New York. So, guys, you guys want to hear something awesome? Yes. We actually got uh, some listener mail. We got some stuff on on Twitter. Uh, I, I can't find the original tweet, but we had a gentleman named Nick who was really excited about the first episode we had about Godzilla. He said it was about time that someone had a relevant discussion about Godzilla. He ended up following the Instagram and the Twitter. So thank you for contributing. That's awesome. I really like that. Uh, I, also, I also got a tweet from... Deo Blas, and he was asking if we were going to do a Ghost in the Shell. I I never saw the original anime. Uh, I'm really, I think this one looks really cool. So I I don't really have any expectations going into this movie that can be squashed for the love of the original. I don't have that like nostalgia kind of bug. So I'm really excited about this movie. I'm definitely going to watch the original. I definitely we're going to do do an episode on it if you guys want. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I definitely want to do that. And then we also got. A couple emails. Uh, Dabsog17 said, Sup, guys. Really dig the stuff you put out, but I haven't seen any Wonder Woman stuff. The hype is real with only three months away before the movie's release. What are your thoughts so far? Uh, it's not something that we're going to cover when it comes out. We're, we're, we're really only doing remake movies and reboots for movies initially just because really the only thing that we've seen with Wonder Woman before was the like the 1970s TV show with Linda Carter, and it's it's not really even remotely the same thing. It's not even remotely really the same character. I do think the first trailer, me personally, I thought the first trailer was great. I thought the second trailer made it look like a Zack Snyder movie, even though it's not. (laughs) The trailer that came out yesterday, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I thought looked good again. But I think because of what's already come out with the DC movies, I think everything has to fit tonally with those movies that are not good. Mm. I hope this is good. I think the action looks fun. But I feel like it's... It's a Diet Coke version of a Zack Snyder movie. <laughs> well, I, I think you're right about it uh, 
not necessarily being super relevant to our discussions about uh, remaking pre-existing movies. Although I do think there is some value, especially with uh, upcoming movies like Power Rangers, where we can we can talk about them in the context of not just movies that have been made of those shows, but in the context of the shows themselves. So it might be at least worth a discussion later on, if not necessarily a, you know, big review. You have any thoughts on it, Dustin? No. Not really. I, mean, I don't. I don't. I don't care, man. Like it's you, these DC movies are pretty... gonna happen, and you know I'm I'm glad that some people are excited for them, but I think it as you said before, they have to fit into a like that DC universe tonally, which is bad and not fun and not enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it it's so kind of doomed from the start. And they keep losing directors left and right. Like they had two different directors on that. Like I I don't have a lot of faith, so. I don't think we'll cover it in any detail. So I've got one last one. Uh, This is from Wendy from L.A. She said that she wants us to do a Beauty and the Beast episode, which we're planning on. That one's going to be easy. It's just the cartoon and the new movie and the cartoon short. So we can definitely do that. But she wanted to know that if we were casting the movie, who would we cast as Belle um, if it wasn't Emma Watson? Oof. that's tough. It depends on how old they're going. Uh, if they're going a little older, I, I think maybe like an Emmy Rossum. I think she's really pretty. Uh, I think she's, I know she's got, you know, a music background and at least Phantom of the Opera. So she was kind of the first brunette who sings that kind of popped up in my head as an actress. Maybe Catherine McPhee, but that's that's really all that I can think of. Nah, I don't, I don't do mm. fan casting, man. It's not my bag. I don't know. I, I guess I would say uh, Alison Brie, just because I love her and I want to see her. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Alison Brie is awesome. Uh, that's that's the last of the, the the letters that I have. Going into news, that's our little thing that we do on Instagram daily. I've just got a couple stories I wanted to talk about. With Logan, I, I, I know you saw Logan and liked it, Dustin. I saw it. I loved it. Uh, it's breaking records all over the place for rated R movies. So with this being so successful, Todd McFarlane, the creator of Spawn, has been pitching this movie from two th- since 2009 where basically Spawn is like a, like a boogeyman and you don't actually see Spawn. You only see his shadow. And it was going to be more like a 1970s horror film. And he's like, I don't need, you know, with this movie being so good and dark, I was going to go even darker. I only need $10 million to do it. And I read that and I was like, this looks like garbage. I don't want that movie. Do you guys want another oh Spawn God. movie? I mean, I, I got I got issues with Todd McFarlane anyway, so I'm just gonna say, God no, make it stop, make it stop before it even begins, sweet Jesus, please don't. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't care. But he, they can make another Spawn movie, and I probably won't watch it. it it's odd because <laughs> I actually like I tried watching the animated spawn that was on hbo like maybe a week ago not even that long ago and i just couldn't get into it man like i don't know and i remember being like when i was young i was buying those like image comics was new and i I have a bunch of those early issues of spawn that i thought were cool when i was like maybe 12 or something and now it's just i I just don't care I, i don't care about the character i got I have no attachment to it. I thought I would. I, I, I kind of wish I did, but I just don't. I love the costume. I think it's a really cool design. I think that's. I think the Spawn toys are cooler than any of the stories that have been out. I, I think that's what Spawn is at this point, just a statue to collect. Yeah, I don't know. It's not a movie I need. And the last bit of news kind of ties in with the Kong Skull Island. The director, whose name I can never remember because he's only done a few independent films and some like music videos. His name is Jordan. Jordan... V-O-G-T, Jordan Vogt Roberts. Vogt yeah. Roberts. He, um, 
just signed on to bring the Metal Gear Solid movies to life. So remaking those games as a movie, I don't know how you can make that into a movie. Oh, don't I mean you don't, can make it into a really weird one. Oh, don't worry. I mean Hideo Kojima has yeah. already made 40 hours of movie of Metal Gear Solid. So all you have to do is take some screen caps of the game, put them in movie format and you're done. I I <laughs> only That's played the newest I, games like i think I've, I've only played like the last three games so i'm not like super into it but he names like some obscure character that i had to look up that was in the first game and he's like no i'll definitely have that so he's getting a lot of uh like street cred for knowing the material oh man i i, I love metal gear solid 5 but i think uh, that was the most tame of the metal gear plots i mean i i have so i, I have loved really metal know. gear solid since the the playstation 1 game came out i mean it it has been my fucking jam but lately I mean the the storylines and stuff don't make any fucking sense. I they they they've been pumping shit out for money for however long. I mean Hideo Kojima, the the director of all these games, he's completely insane. I mean the games are fun, but none of them make any sense. So if look if if this director gets a good writer who can actually make a script that's coherent, I will go watch the hell out of that movie because I love the games and I want to see something from the franchise that actually makes some kind of sense to normal, sane human beings. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I would definitely go see it. I would go see it. I, I don't know what to expect from it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's episode two. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MDXPods. You can send us emails at mdxpods at gmail.com. As you can see, we will be reading some of these on the podcast. Uh, you can also check us out at Facebook at mdxpods.com. Uh, sorry, facebook.com slash mdxpods. And of course, we are on Patreon. Uh, just look for us on Patreon at mdxpods. And if you are able to help us out, we, we are actually having some technical difficulties today. So we are really hoping we can upgrade our equipment soon. So if you can help us out, spare a dollar or two. Um, it's just going to make this podcast better. And that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks, guys. Awesome.